Well, for sermon number one, I'll say, if you're, if you're with someone today um, in a relationship, not to say in the room, but you're in a relationship, but you're not yet married. If you can picture you and that person in a video like that in five years talking that way about each other, that tells you something. And if you can't picture you and that person in a video like that talking that way about each other, that might tell you something too. That's sermon number one. That's free. (laughs) Sermon number two is that we're in the Song of Solomon. And we are talking about uh, this ancient love poem from the Old Testament. And after weeks of flirting and suggestive overtures and imagery, today we come to the main event. This couple has arrived at the day of their wedding and they are going to consummate their relationship. So uh, it starts in chapter 4 with the groom gushing over the beauty of the bride. He says, how beautiful you are, my love. How very beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats moving down from the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bears twins. Not one among them is bereaved. Saying her teeth are like like freshly shaved sheep and each one has a a twin. Oh, you know, you got to love a guy on the wedding night tells his bride, girl, your eyes are like birds. And your hair is like a goat. And look at you, girl. You got all your teeth. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, then, he, then he gives this invitation in verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and the mountains of leopards. He doesn't think much of his in-laws. but uh, You have ravished my heart. My sister, my bride. That's kind of creepy. Sister, my bride. Um, I should have known after that tooth comment this was going to go full Arkansas. No, no. Back, uh, back then, members of the opposite sex didn't interact much outside their own family. That's the way it was. So this, when he says, my sister, my bride, that's an expression of closeness for him. Up to this point in his life, his sisters are probably the only girls he has ever laughed with, played with, talked with for any length of time until this special girl comes along. And so for him, it's an expression of closeness. Other than my sisters, I've never experienced this amount of playfulness and joy and closeness with any other girl. That's the way they did that back then. So it's an expression of closeness. Verse 12, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A garden locked, a fountain sealed. Here, he's praising her virginity. She's like a garden of sensual wonders, but... The door has been shut. There's like a beautiful fountain in there, but it's been locked away up to this point. It's been saved up, but for him. And now he's about to enter into that garden and experience all the wonders that are there. There's a lot of power in this kind of locked garden imagery. I first saw the power of of this kind of thing sweep over a room. Uh, When I was a high school teacher once And one year, the computer spat out for me a very strange class. I had this first hour that was 32 students, three boys and 29 girls. That's what the computer picked out. 
And, and, you know, so, so I would start my day with these 29 girls and these three very quiet boys. And um, one day, one of the girls blurts out, Mr. Leahy, you're a Christian. So what's up with Christians thinking you have to be married before you can have sex? <laughs> that had nothing to do with paramecium. Like, and, and I'm a public school teacher. So I got to think, well, what am I going to do with this question? So I'm kind of, mm, uh, and then a girl in the middle row. She says, I'm Christian. I can answer that. She said, my dad told me that saving himself for my mom was his gift to her on their wedding night. And my mom told me it was the best gift she'd ever gotten. And the room fell silent. And I could feel the estrogen churning as 29 high school girls are all silently thinking, oh, I've never heard anything like that. But that girl's dad sounds hot. I experienced this uh, power uh, another time when I was in college. I was uh, talking with a female friend at college, and we were discussing Christianity. And, of course, everybody wants to under- know about the Christian ethics of sexuality and things like that. And so she asked me the same question. Now, you've got to understand, I'm a, I'm a geek. You've gathered that. But I was a bigger geek in college. Uh, I hadn't had a date in four years. I was nearly at the end of college and had dated no one. Not for lack of trying, but... Uh, <laughs> I had dated no one the entire time I was in college. So, and even with that, I dropped the best line ever during this conversation without even meaning to. She said, what's up with Christianity and chastity and virginity and all that? And I said, uh, well, I hope that by saving myself, it will be an expression of love. Um, that I can tell someone, I intend to be so faithful to you that I began to keep our wedding vows before I even met you. Well, after that, this girl was all over me. Like, I could not keep her away. And I thought I was safe because at the time we had the conversation, that girl had a girlfriend. But something about that line just reversed her polarity right back. And I spent the rest of, rest of the year dodging her advances. True story. <laughs> then comes her invitation. Chapter verse 16. Awake, O north wind. O come, O south wind, blow upon my garden that its fragrance may be wafted abroad. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Now the Hebrew word she uses there for awake, the wind, is the exact same word that she's been using all the other weeks we've been studying where she warns her girlfriends, don't wake up this kind of love until it's ready, until it's time. That's what she's been, and now she says, it's time. Now wake up the winds and let them flow through the garden. Now it's time. And then we fade to white. The actual lovemaking is not narrated or described in this love poem. Instead, it goes now to the chorus of girls who've been attending and cheering on this relationship the whole time. Previously, these girls have only been there for for the the bride-to-be to to say, now don't wake up the power of this love till it's time. And now they're the ones saying, it's time! And they chant, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. The Bible loves this to tell us to be drunk all the time with everything except alcohol. Have you ever noticed this? Like, be drunk with love. Uh, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It's kind of the Bible's way of saying, like, there are things God wants to give you that just sweep you away into wonder. It just happens not to be booze. It's love. It's the Holy Spirit. It's community. It's all this. He wants you to have those kind of feelings, but he gives you a genuine, non-destructive way to have it. And in this time, it's love. Um, I, I saw this one time. I was uh, in biology in uh, college. And my professor, he was Christian, but he thought I was like the over the top kind of Christian. So he always liked to give me a hard time. And so one time we're digging through bushes, we're looking for lizards and it's springtime and we find two lizards and it's, it's springtime. So they're doing what lizards do in the springtime. And my professor goes, hey Garrett, look at that. <laughs> right there in front of God and everybody. <laughs> he's trying to give me a hard time, but I thought he's right. He's right. They're lizards, and it's springtime, and this is what they're created to do, and it's right there in front of God and everybody, and there's no shame. That's, that's what's supposed to be happening. That's what love is like. Sex is a garden of wonders. Um, I remember when my, Ashley and I got married. The day after our wedding, uh, we had to be dropped off at the airport so we could go on our honeymoon and not have a car stuck at the airport. So her folks said, oh, we'll drive you to the airport. That sounded great. I didn't realize, you know, wedding night, next morning, parents' house, back again, breakfast table. I thought, and as her dad's coming toward the breakfast table, I realized I've not thought this through. <laughs> I'm now going to sit right across from mere hours after uh-oh. <laughs> he sat down. He buttered his toast. He asked us about our travel plans. He passed the bacon. It was all more normal than our interaction had ever been. I thought, I realized, like, no, this is how it's supposed to go. This is how it's supposed to go. Now is the time. And now is the time that love is celebrated before God and the church and your in-laws and everybody. That's right. That's how it is. This is the message that single people need from the church. And people who are single again, those of you who are going to try to make another run up the hill. That sex is a garden of wonders. And when the, in the right time, in the right place, it is celebrated before God, among God's people. And if, if you want this kind of wonder without any shame, we the church are for you and want to help provide trail maps to arrive at this garden. And that would be a really great end to sermon number two. We could just stop right there and say, we have a good story to tell. Even if you didn't live that story out, you're now armed to share the story with your children and grandchildren, and it changes the world. Amen. That would be a great end to sermon number two, except that I have just some worries about my brothers and sisters here in the Lakeland community and in churches everywhere. I worry about that some of you, even if you followed the trail map, the Garden of Wonders has never quite been reached because sexuality is complicated. It's not always that easy. The internet is alive right now with forums of Christian men and Christian women living in marriages where they are completely deprived of sexual intimacy. Uh, the phenomenon is called the sexless marriage, and our culture is rampant with it right now. The posts are heartbreaking. I'll read you just a few. A husband writes, we can't even talk about our intimacy anymore. She just cries. A wife writes, I don't know what's wrong with me. I thought men wanted sex, but my husband never wants me. Another husband writes, I love her. I love the kids. I will never leave. 
but this tortures me. And a man comments back to him, I gave up hope for this 10 years ago. This is just the way it's going to be. But I will not break my vow. That's really complicated. The sexual abuse that many of you have suffered makes it really complicated. Some of you are on medications for other things and it just mechanically makes sex complicated. Some of you despise your own bodies and you will not share it. No matter how much your spouse praises you or tells you when they look at you, that's not what they see. Some of you feel unwanted. Some of you have been told sex begins in the kitchen. If you just help out more around the house, that area would straighten out. There's probably some truth to some of that for some of you. Some of you might want to get acquainted with some rubber gloves and some dish soap. But some of you did that. And it didn't change. Some of you have been told it's just because the kids are little when they aren't so pawy and grabby and using mom as a jungle gym. Things will be more available. There's probably some truth to that too. But for some of you, the kids got older and it didn't really change. For more than half of you, pornography is in the house. Some of you have discovered it and been told that by your spouse it has nothing to do with you. That you're not part of the problem, but you have trouble believing that. For those of you who are using, I mean, let's be honest, addictions like that, they do soothe us in certain moments. They do numb us. They also take everything from us. Satan never gives you anything unless he intends to take more. If you look at what pornography is and who's in it and how it's made and where it comes from, there's no question that it can be from anywhere other than hell. This is all complicated and this is all hard. And I know because my wife and I have dealt with every single one of the issues on here, all of them, we felt and said all those things. And it dragged on that way for 20 years. 20 years. And I can only tell you now, don't give up hope. Don't give up on love. And I know for some of you, giving up hope has been your defense mechanism. That's the way you protected yourself from hurt, by not expecting it to get any better. See, right? No hope, no hurt. I know this line because I use this line. No hope, no hurt. If I don't expect it to get better and it doesn't get better, then I'm not bothered. That's not really, that doesn't really work, does it? I mean, you're built for hope. The Holy Spirit keeps putting hope back into you. Hope is a key element of who God makes us to be. So you really can't escape from the hurt for very long, can you? Now, I don't have a magic bullet to shoot at all this today because this is complicated. And I have my story and you have your story. And some ways they're similar and a lot of ways they're not. But I do have a few hints for the journey. I do. If you're interested, I could share a few hints for the journey. I'd say, first of all, I wouldn't fight about this forever. Um, If it's just starting, you know, this is just becoming an issue, definitely have conversations. Definitely have some confrontations. Definitely address it. But this is getting to be two, three-year-long deal. I wouldn't keep just clashing over it. I only say that because that really didn't work for us. I would say, go back to God. 
And when I say go back to God, it, it pains me to describe it this way because I think of myself as a real smarty pants. And, uh, and then I don't need all this stuff that I'm about to describe to you. But God has revealed to me, I'm not nearly as smart as I wish I was. I'm as smart as you all know that I'm not. And so uh, when I say go back to God, I mean a very unclever, unsophisticated, back to basics, old time religion from your grandma's church sort of way back to God. I absolutely mean that. I mean going back to prayer. Prayer in the morning, prayer when you get home from work, and a prayer when you go to bed. And I probably mean kneeling beside your bed. I mean worship attendance. Yeah, that old tired, you need to go to church. And I don't mean just when the kids don't have a game or when you're not away at the lake. I mean religiously, go to church, show up. God does stuff there. If you've got a lake house, find a church down there at the lake and go to that one when you're there. I mean the scriptures. Just read your Bible. Just open it somewhere and start. When's the last time you just read the scriptures? without an agenda, just it's Tuesday and it's four o'clock and it's time to read the scriptures. When's the last time you did that? And I mean community, small group season's gonna be starting here in just a few weeks. We're gonna have a big small group sign. Oh, small group, that's so, that's so this or that. Uh, I, God works through other people and you know that in ways that it doesn't just happen any other way. And I mean the community and the small group and the living room and the back deck and the scriptures and the prayer and all of it. You need the power of God for what you're going through. What you're going through is killing you and only the power of God can give you hope and change it. And how are you going to get the power of God in your life if you're just swiping through your phone all day and you're missing church to cut the grass? Where's God in those places? And when you pray, don't pray that God will take control of your spouse and make them into someone they don't want to be or make them do things they don't want to do. You know that God doesn't work that way. If that was how it worked, everybody would already be Christian, right? That's the best thing about the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. Have you noticed no one's submissive or subservient to anyone in the whole poem? No one's bossing anyone around. No one's making anyone do anything they don't want to do. No one's doing anything that they do out of duty or obligation. It's a love poem, and everyone is doing everything that they're doing of their own free will, because free will is one of the places that love comes from. So when you pray, pray that God will show you how to clean off your side of the street. There's a relationship with two sides of the street and just pray God will show you how to clean up your side of the street. And I don't mean, you know, a couple of days we're going to clean stuff up and then everything's supposed to change. I mean for years. I mean, you're opening God, open to God. I said, God, I want you to come down my side of the street and show me everything that you want to change and give me the power of your spirit to change it. I will walk that walk. And this relationship is hard. This intimacy in this relationship is hard, but I just want to make sure my side of the street fully reflects you. And just pray that. Another hint would be to take the hard step. I would say take the step you don't want to take. I don't actually know what it is, but you do. Because God's already revealed it to you many times. You keep circling back around to it. And you don't want to take it. And I would just say take it. Some of you, you need a good Christian therapist. Again, some of you say, yeah, again, this is different. You're different. You're in a different place. You need it. To work through abuse or work through control issues or whatever it is, you need it. Some of you need counseling as a couple. 
Some of you need counseling. I wish I'd gone to counseling the first time my wife asked. What a wasted couple of years fighting about that. I thought in my head I knew exactly what counseling was and that I didn't need it. I was wrong about everything I thought it was, wrong about everything I thought was going to happen there and wrong about how it was going to turn out. All wrong. It was amazing. It was great. Really, really. I went back the second time by myself willingly because I had such a good experience the first time. Some of you need to stop fighting your addictions alone. You already knew I was going to say that. Uh, You've seen all the testimonies online when you're creeping around in the middle of the night asking, how am I going to kick this? And that that's one of those people on there said, did they not? I couldn't have done this alone. And you were hoping that that's not necessary and, and that that's not true. And I'm just here to tell you it's absolutely necessary and it's absolutely true. The healing of uh, our sexual intimacy began when I went to Mercy Street here at the church, Saturdays at 5.30 upstairs for something I thought was not related. I went for something else. This is always what God does. Then I got into this other program with a friend. Actually, I didn't start it. He started it. I didn't want to do it. Um, But he'd been a good friend, so I thought, okay, I'll I'll show up. That changed everything been doing that now for four years corrected so many problems I was facing I thought I had like five major problems in life I found out I have like one problem that expresses itself all different ways when God got down to this man the biggest miracle was I got to this place where God could fill me with love and affirmation so much that I no longer needed Ashley to constantly be filling my love tank. And predictably, once our love life was in no longer about me, 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 and my needs, then it began to change. It began to be about us. So take the hard step that you've been avoiding I'll tell you, on this side of the journey, those 20 years shrank away to unimportance. They really feel like a distant memory. It almost feels like something that happened to somebody else as I talk about it to you. You'd think I'd be standing up here sad over wasted youth or two painful decades. Um, But Jesus makes the present so big and so powerful that the past just doesn't hurt that way. The past just doesn't matter as much as the joy of the now. Once you're in the garden, you just don't remember the hike it took to get there or how long you knocked at the gate. God is just that good to just collapse old time and stretch the present. He invented love and he invented all of its powers and it has many powers. And he's given us so much. So eat, friends. Drink and be drunk with love. Take the smallest step of faith toward him. See what he does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this picture of love that you give. May we share it with future generations of the church. It's in your word. Father, I pray for everyone for whom... Love is complicated. May we draw close to you and be changed. May we have your power and 
your wisdom, and your acceptance. May we have the life that you want us to have. You, you release love into the universe like a current. It's meant to flow between us and you and with each other. And there's all different kinds of love for friends and for family and for husband and wife. May we have whichever and however much of these loves that you want for us. It's in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.